1: Welcome into to another edition of the Gigam 24-7 Sports Podcast. I am Andrew Hattersley, joined by our baseball extraordinaire, Sam Smith. The baseball season, it is Wednesday, February 14th. The baseball season gets underway on Friday against McNeese. Finally here. Feels like the long wait's finally over. There's been a lot of talk, a lot of you know, fall ball practice, open scrimmages. There was an open practice on Tuesday night. Sam, thanks for, for joining us to, to kind of preview everything.
0: Well, it's great to be here. I will tell you, I feel like I'm still somewhere in Stanford crying right now, so I'm glad we're back and we can kind of turn that page and move on.
1: Yep, heading into year three under Jim Slossnagel. Obviously, first two years have been kind of interesting rides, and we're going to get into just kind of an overarching look at 2024, but to bring everybody up to speed on on some, on some what's, what's happened the last couple of years, obviously they make the college – World Series run in year one under Jim Schlossnagel. And then expectations are kind of sky high, right? Heading into year two. And it, it's kind of a bumpy road a little bit at times. And and they end up getting into the tournament, squander some opportunities, as you mentioned, out in Stanford. And now you head into year three. This team hit the portal hard again. Obviously, the big addition of the offseason was Braden Montgomery. Nate Yeski heads to uh, LSU. They bring in uh, coach Max Wiener from Seattle from to to take over the pitching staff and and as pitching coach. And just starting there, just what do you kind of what do fans need to know about the 2024 season? The, you know, with all the changes that have gone on and the expectations, what do fans kind of need to know about this 2024 team? Well, I think it's important
0: that we just kind of be real and kind of just kind of lay it out there because I think sometimes I know I get accused of being the sunshine pumper sometimes and uh, I try not to do that, but I also try to be real. I mean, AM is in really good position right now as far as the quality of coaching staff. Jim Schlossnagel is the real deal. Um, to me, he's the best hire that has been made in a long time, regardless of program or so forth. I just think that he is He's a hard worker. He's relentless uh, in all phases. So, I mean, the guy is out on the recruiting trail himself. He does not ask anything more than what he would do himself. And he has tried to build a program. And when I say build a program, he's not looking to just try to build for 24. Uh, He's looking at 25, 26, 27, so forth, not just on a recruiting standpoint, but just actually a program that can compete with the elite in the SEC. And um. The truth of the matter is, is that we're probably still a year away from actually having their full impact being made on the Texas A&M roster uh, because it takes it takes some time. If you remember correct, he got hired uh, after the season was over. So he comes walking in June, July period. And, you know, he's jumping through hoops trying to put together a program at the same time, try to go out and secure players and so forth. And A&M has been a little bit spoiled because we got lucky. We caught lightning in a bottle. We were able to get some key contributors to add to the existing roster and uh, they made a heck of a run and, and finished you know in the top four in the country which is the best m's ever done in year one so that's awesome but as all Am fans know that sets a table for expectations going forward and so when you move into 23 you know we were a preseason top five team uh, legitimately because if you looked at what was coming back it was pretty impressive we certainly were losing some key contributors. Uh, and the transfer portal really is kind of, it's a good thing and a bad thing. Uh, you go out there and you can secure some key pieces to make your team successful. But if you live and die by the portal, and I think we're gonna see the same thing now in football and other, other uh, sports, um, you, you can basically, you, you miss just a little bit and it could send you into a total tailspin. And so when you look at the 2023 season, Uh, They went out and obviously secured a few people, but so did their competition. If you look at LSU and the team that won the national championship, they did that through the portal. They added a couple of very key pieces to an already very stout lineup, but think about it. They added their ace, who ended up being the best pitcher in the country, and they also added one of the best hitters in baseball to go with some other guys that were right there with him. And so they had a phenomenal lineup already, a great base, and then they added a few key pieces in the portal and made it happen. So now you look at AM, and a and in kind of that same boat. a was trying to replace a few pieces. Uh, they, they certainly replaced some, and they had a pretty good-looking lineup. But then we had a few injuries. If you think about it, we lost one of our rotation pitchers before the season started in Prager. And then we lost, you know, our, our right fielder, our senior right fielder, who's one of our best players for the majority of the year. And, you know, if you think about it, I mean, we also had Targok, who was actually playing, but the guy was hurt the entire season. And so three key contributors that were expected in 23 were basically not even available to the team. Now, the key thing there is, you know, the next man up and you got to step it up and so forth. But that's where cycle is coming from when he says, I've got to build this program through recruitment and through development, because you never know what's going to be available in the portal. And it's going to be, you know, whoever pays the most or whoever convinces whoever to come. And so, a is certainly going to get its fair share, but so are other people as well. And so when you look at the whole structure that was built in 22 that was successful, in 23, we started to see some of the areas that really probably needed to be addressed. And I would say the probably the biggest one was Nate Yatsky. Uh, Nate Yetsky is an outstanding coach. Uh, he has the skins on the wall from a lot of places, Oregon State and Arizona, did a good job in 22 but in 23, uh, to be flat honest with you, he didn't do a very good job. Now, why is that? I think there's a lot of people who can give you a lot of different examples. But in my opinion, um, Yeski's used to basically having the talent brought to him, and he tries to work with it and develop it. But he's starting with something pretty good, and he helps make it even better. Uh, when all of a sudden you're challenged, where you lose some of the guys you're expecting, and now you've got to get others to step up, the development didn't happen, whether that's his fault or whatever. It didn't happen, but it also gave the impression that he seemed to be the one guy amongst that staff that just wasn't fully with the Schloss program itself. And I don't want to pick on him because yeah. you know, he's a great coach, but I'll be flat honest with you. Um, when he left, I actually don't think that that was something that really surprised anybody within the, the coaching staff. It caught me off guard a little bit just because it happened very suddenly and he jumped over to LSU. Well, you know, if you're Nate Yeske, that's not a bad place to go. They're loaded with arms over there. They don't have as, as much of a challenge right now with recruiting. They, they've got a pretty nice little established base. And they got a lot of money being thrown at it. So good luck to him. I hope he has the same success he had for us this last year, as I said in our write-up.
1: But <laughs> that truth, got some laughs from folks too.
0: Yeah, but the truth of the matter <laughs> is, is that, you know, I really like Max Weiner, and I'll be the first one to tell yeah. you, I had heard about Max Weiner, but I didn't really um, know him that well. Um, there's a guy named Mark Allen that um, I am familiar with, met him a couple of times. He was very involved in the Cleveland Indian organization for many years. I think he was there like eight to 10 years, something like that. And then he went to the Giants for a year. He's now actually the pitching coach at the University of Illinois, but he's really an impressive guy. And I know that he's the one that actually kind of found Max Weiner. You know, he was doing the arm farm uh, down in South Florida. You know, he's originally from Florida. Um, if you don't know his background, I mean, the kid is a military kid. He uh, His dad uh, um, basically went to a military academy in Georgia and sent all three of his sons there. Uh, But Max was the commander uh, of that group. So, I mean, the kid is a born leader, uh, really into it. He was a decent pitcher. He was kind of a submarine kind of guy, but uh, nothing spectacular. He wasn't going to make a living being a pitcher, but he's very Mm -hmm. smart. And he got very much involved in the analytical side of, of pitching and uh, really kind of developed his name by this, this thing that he basically designed called the Ant- the Arm Farm. And the Arm Farm, he started working with some quality pitchers, kind of got recognized. Mark Allen gave him a shot in Cleveland. He spent, I think, like a year or so in Cleveland, and Seattle snapped him up, and he became the you know the coordinator for pitching for the Seattle Mariners. And uh, I can tell you that his reputation is phenomenal. I can also tell you that, you know, Jim Schlosser didn't know him, but he had heard of him. And, you know, Jim is a um, – very connected baseball player. He's the president last year of the American Baseball Coaches Association, knows everyone. And so when he started to realize, okay, yes, he's not going to be the right answer. Yes, he's moving on to LSU. That's fine. Now he really wants to get a guy that actually is in the same mindset that he is. And that is, we've got to build a base. We have to build our program from the bottom up. We have to do it through recruiting and do it through you know, the high school ranks and then supplement what we have based off of what we lose through injury, through you know transfer portal, whatever it may be, we'll supplement that with some key players here and there. And so Weiner, I think, is a perfect fit. And he has come in, and the the team absolutely loves this guy. He is the real deal. I will tell you that um, if anybody can outwork Jim Slossengler, it's probably Max Weiner because he just he's a lifer. He gets in and he just dawn to dusk. He's out there working. He's working hard. He's he uses technology to understand what he's working with the, the individual. But then he does a really good job of articulating uh, that message to the player that he can understand. And so, you know, he has been really working with these kids, both the existing roster and all the new kids that have come in. And by the way, this high school class is elite. If people don't talk about it right now, it's because we've got a lot of senior guys and a lot of older guys that are come in through the portal and all that. But we've got some major studs that have come into this recruiting class. I mean, they're going to be very special. A lot of them are going to play a lot this year. But the groundwork is continuing to develop. And, and hats off to Nolan Kane for that because Nolan Kane is the, is the architect behind the scenes. And he would be the first one to tell you if he were here right now that uh, they're probably still a year away from actually getting their full system implemented because it just takes a while to get up and running. 22, they were scrambling. They were trying to add people through the portal, do whatever. They got a nice recruiting class in, but they're still not quite where they need to be. They went back out of the portal. They got some key pieces and so forth. But as you're starting to see the recruits start to come in from the high school ranks, I think in 25, you will see that the majority of the base at a and is now in place. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to develop the same thing that you see at Florida, uh, same thing you see at Arkansas, same thing you see at LSU, where it is a core base. There's not a lot of ebb and flow. We're going to be dang good. We're going to have a lot of really good athletes, a lot of good players. And then if we have a need here and there, they're going to go through the transfer portal and grab one or two here and there. And I think that is the right strategy because you can live and die by the portal. And I think we lived by it in 22 and we kind of died by it in 23. But you're going to see that some of the additions that we made through the portal this year are outstanding. I mean, you know, gosh, we added the, the best player in the country in, in Montgomery. But uh, but we've also got a really nice core that we're starting to work with. And so I think you'll see in 25 that we've got a really good base and that Jim Slossnagel's program and Nolan Kane's you know, architecture of that is going to really start to show itself for the long term. And I think that's really important for a fans and AM baseball moving forward. So that all being said, let's talk a little bit about, you know, kind of what we're looking at for uh, 24, if that's all right with you. Yeah. Um, so obviously a lot of attention was made through the transfer portal because that's kind of the first thing that kind of happens. Braden Montgomery uh, is a two-way – all sports star, basically at Stanford. He's gone to the College World Series two years in a row. Yep. Uh, the kid is, you know, mid to upper nineties uh, throwing the ball on the bump, and he's an exceptional switch hitter. He can hit just as well from the left as he can from the right, and it's just an impressive thing to watch. In fact, uh, the other day he hit home run. He hit two home runs, both with well over a hundred mile an hour exit velocity, and one was from the left side, and one was from the right side. So that's the kind of guy that we're talking about here. I mean, he is he's, he's the real deal. He's exactly what everybody plays him up to be. He's certainly the big fish in the uh, transfer portal that was landed by A&M, and, that, and that's really awesome. So to stick that guy in a lineup and have a guy like La Violette, La Violette right there with him, that one-two combination is going to scare any baseball team that has to face them. So that, that's pretty awesome. But they also went out and and actually secured some other key veteran pieces that are going to play a huge role uh, for the Aggies this year. One thing I I probably need to mention is that, you know, the Ivy League actually has some pretty dang good baseball. And they've got some guys that have been really successful and done really well. The interesting thing about the Ivy League, though, is you cannot um, play as a graduate student in the Ivy League. They They don't allow that. So if you had another year of eligibility, but you're a graduate student, you could not continue to play. Well, that has been the best blessing in the world for a because we were able to pick up two guys. Jackson Appel, who's a Houston kid, who is an exceptional catcher. He was an uh, all-Ivy League catcher. He swings the bat really well and so forth. Uh, has joined the Aggies this year and is, is, is a really impressive player. And then uh, we went and got a young man from Columbia. In fact, I, I kind of laugh because I think of Columbia as uh, you know not a baseball power, but Hayden Schott is an outstanding player and and I will tell you, just a, kind of a little inside information, he's going to be a fan favorite. Um, uh, the other night, in fact, they had a scrimmage on Tuesday night, and his walk-up song will crack you up. But he's just hes a real character. If you ask anybody on the team, they'll tell you he's the guy that is kind of the you know, lightens the room, and he's just a, an exceptional player, but he's also just a really great guy. And so what a great addition to the, uh, the roster as well. So, you know, you pick up a couple of guys like that, that's awesome. And then we look at, you know, we picked up uh, Burton from uh, Michigan. And, you know, Ted Burton is, uh, is a guy that basically played four years at Michigan, was a very, very good player, hit for a high average, uh, hustle, just, you know, the, just a true, you know, get in the dirt, go, go, go get him kind of guy. And he's transferred in and is also going to be a part of the team as well. And so, you know, just some really great pieces that they went out and, and found through the transfer portal. They also added a few arms and there's some guys that really have a lot of uh, upside potential and they're guys that Max Weiner has been working very closely with. And I, I know some people have asked on the board and we're going to get some questions from that a little later, but a lot of people have asked, you know, what, you know, what is Max? I mean, that's great. Yeah, he's a great coach. But what makes him a great coach? And what I will tell you is he's very technical in his, his focus and analy- analyzing the player, but he's not technical when he communicates that to the player. So he has worked with every pitcher, on this staff, whether it's our top pitchers, our brand new pitchers that are still kind of developing, he's working on arm slot, he's working on rotation, he's doing everything to optimize the delivery of that specific athlete that specific way. And I actually think because he's a kind of an old submarine kind of guy, he understands that, you know, you can get yeah. the job done a lot of different ways. And so it's kind of fun to kind of see what he's doing, because we've got a couple of guys, and I'm sure I'll mention them in a few minutes, but we had a couple of guys that Well, they're going to be fan favorites, but they're also going to freak out the dang guys they're opposing because we've got a Submariner, and then we've got a guy in Peyton Smith who came from DBU. Oh, my gosh. I mean, he's – I don't even know how to describe it. It's kind of like our version of Wild Thing. He's got the glasses and the hair going all over the place. Delivery, I mean, like his whole body is coming at you in like 17 different ways. Yeah. So He is a bulldog, and let me tell you, they absolutely love him on this roster. I mean, even when they face him, in fact – I heard Jace LaViolette say the other day that he's the one guy that he's had the most trouble with on our staff hitting because he's just so unique and different, and he loves the guy. He absolutely loves him. And so it's really kind of cool to see kind of this mix coming in. But what I love about Wiener is he kind of just he, he narrows it all down to where it's very easy to understand. You know, he, He's he been telling everybody, and I know Schlossnagel's been using this a lot, but I mentioned it in my write-up for the, uh, the preview that, you know, 94 percent of the players, if you throw a strike on the very first pitch, you're either going to get an out or you're certainly going to get a strike. And, you know, that's a big deal because it drops off significantly when you th- when you walk players. And if you think about A&M in 2023, our Achilles heel was the free basis. We, we gave up. We yep. were second to last in the league in walks. And so Wiener's approach is we're not going to do that. We're going to pound the zone. He says it all the time. You'll hear it a lot in his interviews. We're going to pound the zone. And so that's been the focus with these guys. He's working on arm slots. He's working on rotation to get the maximum amount of effort and efficiency out of each athlete. But the key thing is you can be the best athlete in the world, but if you don't throw strikes, I can't use you. And so he's doing a really good job of working on that. Now, that's great to say they're still kids, and they're still the ones that actually have to deliver. So we, when we get into specifics, you know, we can talk about that because we've got some with a lot of potential, but they need to learn how to throw strikes.
1: Yeah, you look at what's—I I think what's what's really frustrated Jim Schlossnagle the most over the last couple of years is some of those walks and free bases and and things like that. So, we've got, like you mentioned, we got a lot of great questions. The 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 one I wanted to start out with, though, just to, one more for me, and then we'll get into subscriber questions. Is kind of looking at the SEC as a whole, right? Like, mm-hmm. as we've talked about before, immensely deep again this year. Where do you kind of think Texas A&M stacks up in that group? And, and you know, they may not be towards the top, right? But but you've got some really, really good teams. that you could still be a really good team in this conference and finish 6th, 7th.
0: Absolutely. Well, what I would tell you is A&M's in the top six, okay, in the SEC. Yeah. And I say that. They're ranked eighth in the country. So that gives you an idea how good the SEC is. But I'm going to answer this question in a little bit different way. So if you look at the various programs, I would tell you today, the absolute best team in the, in the United States in, in college baseball, from a pitching perspective, is going to be Arkansas. They're flat-out loaded. They've got phenomenal players. In fact, their ace is a kid named Hagan Smith, who actually is from my, my, te- my hometown here, so I know Hagan really well. But he is an outstanding player, and they are flat-out loaded pitching. Now, when it comes to offense, though, the very best team in the SEC and also in college baseball – is Texas A&M. Now, how's that for a little surprise? From yeah. an offensive standpoint, there is no team in college baseball that has a better-looking lineup right now from an offensive perspective than Texas A&M. And I'm not just the only one saying that. It's not Mr. Sunshine Popper over here. You'll hear that from a lot of people. They will tell you that A&M's offense is scaring everybody because it is from 1 to 9 solid. And it's not just the 1 to 9. We've got five or six guys that are in major competition for a starting position. And they may or may not get that starting position, but they're going to make some serious waves. And every one of those guys can swing the bat. So from an offensive standpoint, that's great. Okay. The best overall team, though, that puts it all together, it's got the pitching, the offense, the defense, all that kind of stuff is absolutely Florida. On paper, Florida is flat out great in pretty much all phases. They've got a very, very good pitching staff, They've got a couple guys that can swing the stick and, you know, very comparable to a La Violette and a, and a Montgomery. Uh, so on paper, Florida is heads and tails, probably the best team in the country starting the year. Now, anything can happen. One, you can underperform, you can get hurt, whatever it may be. Right. Arkansas, though they have a phenomenal pitching staff, their offense is extremely questionable. I mean, they certainly have some guys that are good players, but they don't come I mean, we're close to possessing the kind of power that AM has. And truthfully, they don't come close to possessing the kind of power that LSU has. I mean, LSU has a pretty good little offense, and they have some pretty dang good arms in that bullpen too. Nothing, they don't have, you know, a, a Paul Skeens this year, but they certainly have some guys that are really good. They still have Tommy White, but they they also don't have a couple of those other guys that were around him. And so LSU's got some question marks, but they're certainly loaded with very good talent. And I can certainly see why most of the national pundits have placed them above AM in the preseason deal because one, they're the defending national champions mm-hmm. and they bring a lot back and they've got a lot of really good players. So I say all that then to keep looking, then you look at Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt's pitching is stupid. It is absolutely fantastic. I mean, they got arm after arm after arm and they brought in a bunch of high school kids. They're just as strong and powerful. So their arms are great, but their offense is to be determined. It's kind of out there. And so what I would basically say is, is that you're, when you look at the, actually I need to probably throw in Tennessee too. Tennessee is another team that has got a pretty dang good offense, but they lost a lot of their stable pitching. And so their pitching is, you know, it looks like it's going to be okay, but it's still a little bit of a question mark. So to say all that, getting back to AM, AM is going to be loaded on offense. I think our defense is going to be really good. The competition right now, by the way, uh, Schloss has not announced his lineup yet, but yeah. it's like Caden Kent. Use Caden Kent as an example. The kid is a stud. He looked fantastic in the Cape Cod League. He is ready to go. But we also brought in Ali Camarillo from, you know, you know, Cal Northridge. And yeah. let me tell you, he looks as good as Hunter Haas. Now, I don't think that's fair to ever say because Hunter Haas put together as good a season as you could ever put together as a shortstop in the SEC at AM last year. So I don't think it's fair to anybody to try to compare them. But, you know, I know a lot of people are saying, oh, my gosh, you know, who's our shortstop going to be? Well, let me tell you. I don't think we're missing a beat with Camarillo. I really don't. I think he's going to be outstanding. He's got a good stick, too. He's going to be really great. But so does Caden Kent. So those two guys have been fighting it out through the fall, through the spring. And the difference between the two is almost negligible. So the challenge that Schloss is going to have is, okay, whichever guy he's going to give the starting job to, which I think will be Camarillo, at least initially, then what do I do with Kent? you got to get Kent in the lineup. And that's why in my preview I said I really think Kent should move over to second. Uh, and it's not because I think a guy like a Targok or whatever is is necessarily bad. If he's healthy, I think he can do an okay job. But I just think Kent's got to be in the lineup. I mean, he's just the kind of kid that you got to have out there. His glove is exceptional and so forth. So I'm really interested to see kind of how that goes. And then you look at third, you know, we're taking a guy like uh, Warner, who had a rocket arm, who had so much potential. And for yeah. three years, I talked about all this potential and everything. And I think at times, you know, Trevor Warner lived up to it. I think he played a decent, you know, you know hot corner last year. I think he, he was pretty good on the glove. And if he stopped it, he certainly had the rocking arm to get people out. So, I mean, I think he played very well over there. His bat, on the other hand, was, you know, kind of hit and miss. Sometimes it was great. Sometimes it was cold as could be. It was just wherever. Well, we just replaced him with a guy that truthfully could be playing in AAA baseball right now and Gavin Grahovac. I mean, Grohovak is the Jace LaViolette of 2024. And I don't say that trying to put any extra pressure on the kid, but he is the real deal. He is an extremely hard worker, but he is everything that you could ask for in a player. He's got all the tools. He's got a good, a good glove. He's got an exceptional bat. I think if anybody on the board in the last couple of weeks, I've kind of shared a couple of things that the analytics team sent out. And he hit a home run the other day that was like 114 exit velocity. I mean, holy cow! I mean, that's like in the upper echelon of the top pros in Major League Baseball. So the kid is the real deal and he's a freshman. And so, you know, you can't expect a freshman to come in and be perfect, but he's certainly going to be a guy that is actually going to play and he's going to play really, really well. And so I, am really excited to see, you know, kind of what A&M kind of puts together, but our pitching staff is, is going to be that question mark in the overall ranking of the sec. So I would say it's Florida and then you take LSU and Arkansas. Yeah. And probably, um, yeah, when I th- you know, kind of think about it after that, the rest of them are kind of right there together. I do think mm-hmm. that AM and m and Tennessee uh, are certainly better than Ole Miss and some of those teams, but don't sleep on Ole Miss. Ole Miss is not going to have another off year. Mississippi State is going to be coming back as well. Even though the – the I think D1 baseball has Ole Miss like 24. Man, they're, they're, a, they're probably a 15 or a 16 is what they really are realistically. I mean, I certainly wouldn't take anybody between 15 and where they're ranked over them in a head-to-head match. It's just Ole Miss is, is that good. And so that's why I say between the Vanderbilts and the Aggies and Tennessee, yes, they are maybe that one tier kind of slightly below where LSU, Arkansas, and Florida is. And it's mainly because they've got question marks that are not proven on the field yet. The talent is certainly comparable. It's right there. So it'll be very interesting to see. So this year in the SEC is going to be phenomenal. I'll uh, share some private information. I already told you this, but – I've already bought my tickets for Gainesville. I'm I'm going to school. My son's going to meet me there. It's the opening of the SEC in Gainesville against Florida. At that time, Florida's either going to be probably one or two, and I'm expecting us to be up there as well. And I'm looking forward to it because I'm telling you, the SEC this year, if you are a college baseball fan, go buy your tickets because there's not going to be a single series that's going to be a bad one. These teams are flat out rocking and loaded, and it's going to be a lot of fun to watch.
1: No doubt. That's going to be awesome for you to for you to get out there and and get to see this team against against what's expected to be one of the top teams in the programs. We're going to in the country, should I say, we're going to dive into some questions. We got a lot of great questions. Thank you to everybody who submitted questions. Some touching on the pitching staff, some touching on the offensive side, little projections, little little bit of everything. So we're going to start with the pitching because I feel like that's kind of what's on everybody's mind heading into the, the, this year. And, and a lot of those questions had to do with Max Weiner obviously. And one of the questions we got was, what detail has Max Weiner worked on the most with the pitching staff as a whole? And is there maybe one interesting thing he's done with a player specifically? I feel like you kind of touched on it earlier, but just uh, if you wanted to, to kind of start there. Well, I think the thing I love
0: about Weiner is he truly – has taken the time to get to know every one of these players. And, yeah. you know, that probably sounds like it's a given, but but I promise you that didn't happen last year, okay? They certainly all know each other and all that. But the amount of time – I mean, Wiener is the type of guy that will go out and sit down with you and basically talk to talk to you about everything except baseball just to kind of, you know, get get you loose, kind of have a conversation. And then he starts to talk, you know, aspects that directly affect that player, not anybody else on the team. He doesn't want you to worry about, you know, what happened the last inning or what happened on the last pitch. All he wants to do is focus on that next pitch. And so I think he does a really, really good job of relating to today's athlete. First of all, he's not that old. You know, he's in his 30s, so it's not like he's that that old a guy. But he does a really good job of relating to them. And what I've seen is they really, really respond well to him. And so when he starts talking, you know, working on arm slot or working on the rotation coming through – and supposition, you know, of the arm. I mean, he gets real technical, but he does it in a way to where that guy can fully grasp it. And so I have not seen him ever talk to anybody different or anybody the same, because each person is very, very different. And so I think that's a really unique talent that he has. And he certainly, like I said, he's a really hardworking guy. And so as he sits down, so let's, let's just use an example, Chris Cortez. Well, we can talk about Chris Cortez a lot, and we probably will in a few yep. minutes, but I mean, unbelievable talent, kid's got an amazing arm and can't hit the blind side of a barn. I mean, that's unfortunately what's happened. And so, you know, how do you take that kind of talent and how do you, you know, focus it? You can certainly work on technical aspects of your your pitch. You can work on your supplemental pitches. I mean, I can tell you very clearly that um, they have done a really good job of of trying to focus on additional pitches to help make all these pitchers a multi-dimensional. Um, you know, thing to face as you're, as you're a hitter up there. So you're not going to see a guy just go and throw fastballs all the time. He's there's a guy they're actually out there thinking and they're working on execution of multiple pitches. So everybody's got a lot of secondary pitches. I can't wait for everybody to see Prager, by the way, the Prager today is better than the Prager in 2022. I'm flat out. It's unbelievable. And he was a great pitcher in 22. He already had four pitches in 22 and he was really good. He's a very meticulous guy. But Wiener has really been working with him, and he is better today than he was uh, when he was pitching for us in 22 in, in Omaha. And that is a really great sign because we needed that because we really missed him last year in 23 when he went out. That was a major blow to the AM chances when we lost a guy like that. So with, with Cortez, the biggest issue with Cortez is up above the shoulders because he got all these skills and all that, and he can throw the ball hard as heck, but he can't hit the strike zone. And so Wiener has really been focusing – on that with Cortez, talking about the mental aspects, talking about setting aside. Don't let all this, you know, the, the gray area you know, clog your mind. Just stay focused on this pitch. And, you know, things like, like I was telling you, the percentages and all that, he, he brings that up to basically say, hey, look, this isn't brain, brain surgery. You throw a strike, the odds are in our favor, we're gonna get this guy out. Trust yeah. your defense and all this kind of stuff. So he has some conversations. Some of it would make a lot of sense to all of us and some of it's very technical but it relates really well to a guy like Cortez. And so my hope is is that he's able to get in there and do that because Chris Cortez, this is his year. This is the year that the kid can really take it to a new level. He could easily be a high round draft pick and he could easily be not drafted at all depending on what the kid does. Now, I find that hard to believe mainly because he's got so much talent. Somebody will take a chance on him and say that we can develop him. But my dog, and I'm tired of these great players coming through College Station and then becoming great afterwards. Let's do it this year. So I'm hoping and praying he's going to do that. But that's what I would say about Wayner. Weiner is he's just that kind of guy. He's a really hardworking guy. He's one of the first guys there. He's there with the kids all day. He's one of the last guys to leave. He's exactly what Jim Schlossnagel needs. He's the guy that gets where is going to go. And he's going to do everything you possibly can to achieve the director that he's been given. So I love that about him. And so having not known him that well to see where he is today, it's pretty awesome.
1: Now we're going to go highs and lows, right? Obviously kind of touching on the next aspect, strongest part of this pitching staff and the weakest part of the pitching staff. Let's start strong and then we can go to the weak. Okay. I, I will tell
0: you that this is the best pitching staff we've had top to bottom in quite a while in terms of talent. Now, yeah. I say that because a lot of the arms that are coming in now are new. Some of them are coming in this, this latest recruiting class. Uh, we've had a few transfers and so forth, but we've got a tremendous amount of talent. The challenge we have and the reason why I made the comment to somebody the other day that, you know, we're not quite at the SEC level that we want to be. What I mean by that is we're not Arkansas yet, okay? We're not Florida. Um, yeah. Not really even sure we're at LSU's level as far as pitching yet, but we're getting close but we have the talent now they just have to go out there and prove it. And so it's impossible for me, you know, the, you know, just a few days before opening day to tell you that some of these guys that have looked phenomenal in the fall, look great in the spring can go out there and actually start doing it when the lights come on and you're in front of, you know, the 12th man at Bluebell park and all that, you've got to go out there and prove it. And so it's kind of like, I never forget Matt Prager. When he first came in, you know, he's a freshman and he was lighting it up, man. He was looking great and everything, but he's not, he's not an overpowering guy. He's just very smart. And he had four pitches that he could throw all for strikes and he was doing it all through the fall, all through the spring, but he was a freshman. So you just didn't know. Well, look what Prager ended up doing. He ended up being our, one of our best pitchers in 22, kind of helped. Well, he was a key, you know, figure in actually helping us get where we got in, in in Omaha. And so what I would tell you is we got a lot of arms that are just like that. I mean, there's some really great guys. In fact, uh, you know, Caden Wilson is a kid that they're just, you know, ranting and raving about. I I just love what he offers. I mean, just to see his his abilities as a freshman is pretty awesome. I um, another guy, Isaac Morton is a kid that could have easily gone the major league route and decided he had some little, some injury issues and so forth and decided to come to college station. They are going to be key players for us this year. The question is to what extent. And so I would tell you from a talent perspective, that's the best thing that we've got going is that this is a much better bullpen pitching staff than we've had since Schlossnagle was here. Now, The bad side on all this is we've got an awful lot of guys that have a lot of talent, but they got to prove it to us. And I would say Chris Cortez is probably the guy I keep talking about, right? Because for two years, all we've talked about is, you know, he's 98-plus. He's a fireballer. He's unbelievable. It's just incredible how hard he throws the ball. And then he gets out there, and he just keeps walking everybody. And you just can't do that. And unfortunately, I have some bad news to report. We had a scrimmage just the other night, and they let Cortez go longer than any other pitcher. And the first inning he came out, he couldn't throw a strike, and he walked a ton of people. The next inning he came out and basically looked like top shelf major league pitcher basically just shut him down. I mean, he was throwing the stuff, he was throwing strikes, and he looked great. So what do you take away from that? Mm, I take away that he's still a work in progress. And so if you were to ask me today, is he going to be a key member of our rotation? I can't tell you that that's going to happen. I I just don't feel confident in that right now, and I don't think Schloss would either. But – it's there, and if he ever kind of gets that going and starts looking like he did in the second, third inning during that scrimmage, then he's going to be the real deal and he's going to do great. You know, a funny thing that Wiener keeps pointing out, too, is did you know in the SEC, the average amount of time a starter spends on the mound in each game is 4.2 innings?
1: Interesting. Yeah, think so not that. even you you think about like getting going six, seven innings, like that's that's just not happening <laughs> six much. Six seven anymore. innings doesn't
0: happen in the SEC anymore. Yeah. It just can happen. So you need four good innings. And so, you know, we don't have time for you to jack around two innings and then be great. We need you to come in and kind of get the job done. And so yeah. we just can't give up the free bases this year. I can tell you, this year, compared to last year, we're not gonna be doing that because we've got enough arms, we've got enough quality arms that If you don't have it that day, and and let's face it, every pitcher, I don't care how good you are, you're going to have off days. You're going to have – things are going to happen. We're not going to sit there and ride that horse this year. We're going to basically pull somebody out, stick somebody else in there because we've got the talent to be able to do it. So that's probably my biggest concern right now is they're just unproven. Uh, They're they're really solid. I think Wiener has done an outstanding job, but the proof's in the pudding. Uh, It starts come Friday night, and we'll see what they do. But I will tell you that I'm very positive on this pitching staff I'm also even more positive on where this is going in the future. And that's really probably the, even the most important thing. Now, that doesn't help us in 2024, but I really believe that last year was kind of, a, kind of a bump in the road because we're still new and kind of getting going. But I do think that Texas A&M is going to be at that level of a Florida an Arkansas and LSU moving forward. We're going to have quality players at all positions. The base is going to be built from the high school level and recruiting and then we're going to continue to supplement as needed because we're going to lose players and we're going to pick up players. Uh, picking up Braden Montgomery is awesome, and it's going to be great to have him. But next year he's not going to be here, so you know you just yeah. have to keep, you know, kind of working it. But you know you have to do it and base it off your base. I, I feel very good that they're going to do that. So that's where I would be from a pitching perspective.
1: And just just finally, I know you kind of mentioned it's 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 hard to kind of project until guys go out on the field, right, and do this. And and what starts the season might be different than where things kind of look. But when you look at Friday, Saturday, Sunday starter and even the midweek role, do you see guys that are you can kind of pencil into those roles yet? Or what what can folks kind of expect on that front?
0: Well, I think you what you're gonna find is the first few weeks of this season, we're gonna we're gonna put yeah. a lot of pitchers out there. Um, can you can you start to see it? And the answer is yes, you certainly can. I, I can tell you that Justin Lampkin is a guy that is earned a position. Is he going to be the Friday night guy? probably at least starting out uh i don't know we'll find out shortly uh but matt prager is going to be another guy so he's either going to be friday or saturday probably the challenge we have right now is the guy that we're most excited about and and the the staff is most excited about is tanner jones and he is a a transfer portal recruit from jacksonville state and i know i've seen this on the board people go well my gosh he's from jacksonville state how could good could he be uh Just wait, boys. Just wait to see what – I mean, this guy is pretty exceptional. And it's really funny. As I was kind of looking at some of the other teams in the SEC, one of his battery mates is actually going to be one of the key pitchers for Tennessee, and he was from Jacksonville State too. So here's Jacksonville State. Can you imagine being that poor coach at Jacksonville State? I mean, basically now because of the transfer portal, I develop them and then you take them. And so Tanner Jones is the real deal. So forget that he's coming from Jacksonville State. Or whatever, this kid is going to be exceptional. He's going to be a member of the rotation. I will tell you, there is a little bit of a caveat. I posted on the board yesterday that um, he's got a little bit of a, 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 a little bit of a tweak of a muscle. Nothing major, uh, but it's a it's a lat kind of issue. So it's not anything. It's going to be a major problem, but they're going to work him back slowly. So you will not see him pitch in the first weekend at all. So um, that's not going to happen. But you'll probably start to see him work a couple innings, maybe the following week, and start wearing. Uh, we want him ready for SEC play. And so I would fully expect him to be probably rocking and rolling by the time we start to do the thing at uh, Globe Life up in Arlington, you know, playing Arizona State and those guys. Uh, you'll you'll start to see the real Tanner Jones come out. But those of you that are basically saying, oh, he's from Jacksonville State, you just wait, guys. I mean, this guy is the real deal, and he's going to be a very, very good pitcher for AM this year. But because of that, uh, this first weekend, I, I, I sit on the board and I, I – kind of believe this. I've heard uh, Schloss say this a couple of times. I think that he's probably going to give the nod to uh, Shane Sadeo on Sunday. Uh, Sadeo has looked fantastic in the fall. He's looked. He continued Mm -hmm. it in the spring. Uh, He has just gotten better. I mean, he was a key guy for us last year coming out of the pen. he, He worked his tail off. He pitched a ton of innings, did a lot of stuff, and he just continues to develop and get better. Do I think that he is a Long-term rotation answer, I don't think so. I, I think he's going to be our long relief guy. I think he is reliable. Schlosser loves to have him reliable, and we'd love to have him multiple times to a weekend when needed. And so I would think that Sedeo may, you know, eventually relegate back when a Tanner Jones comes back. But there's a lot of other guys. You know, it's like Troy Wansing. Troy Wansing ended up being one of our starters and, you know, did a pretty dang good job for us and actually came in in a uh, relief appearance and actually helped us do really well too. So, I mean, he the, yeah. Wansing can do a lot of different things. And so he's a guy that's been a little bit banged up a little bit. And so he's you know, working back into shape. But he's looked really good, and that, that's great. But we've also got you know a couple guys like I was telling you. I mean, I, I was mentioning uh, Caden Wilson. Uh, you look at Caden Wilson and you look at like an Isaac Morton. These are two freshman arms that are truly outstanding. I mean, they're as good as anybody I've already mentioned. And so these are guys that I know that Schloss is going to give them an opportunity early on, and let's see what they can do. You know, are they going to turn into another Matt Prater who comes right out of the gate and is, you know, a guy we can trust and put them out there? And if they are, then all of a sudden our rotation answer gets even better because, you know, our week weekday start or, or during the week, midweek starters are going to be just as good as our weekend guys. And so that's really good. So there's just a lot of questions, but there's an awful lot of talent there. So I would say those are my three guys leading off. but I think you're going to see those two, two freshmen being brought in. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we work a couple other guys. You know, we've got a guy like a Weston Moss who is an extremely talented guy. He was a little, um, I don't know how to put it, a little skinny coming in, a lot of talent, uh, a little bit of an injury prone guy. And, you know, our, by the way, our new strength and uh, condition coach, I don't know if you, I always have to go back. I always forget his name, but um, uh, J- Josh Kessel. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of Josh Kessel, but I've actually known of Josh Kessel for a long time. He, he was with P3 up in St. Louis and that has become a real powerhouse development uh, uh sports performance program for baseball in St. Louis. And so they have developed a ton of really great pitchers at the major league level, college level, all across the board, really great. And he's one of the founders of that group. And I was absolutely shocked that that's the guy that, you know, Sloss was able to convince to come down. And he's the real deal too. So he's doing a really great job with the strength and conditioning. He has worked with pitchers. And so he knows how to address the strength and conditioning with not only the pitchers, but the hitters and so forth. And so He's a great guy. So if you ever hear him being interviewed, in fact, I may find an interview or two that he's done, I'll try to post on the board. But he has done a really good job of developing these guys too. So I'm feeling really positive about our pitchers. Uh, Now, I haven't gotten into the setup type of stuff. We've got some guys on the back end. I mentioned Peyton Smith. Oh gosh, yeah. I can't wait for you guys to see Peyton Smith because it's gonna be a lot of fun. I, I just almost wonder if they shouldn't just play Wild Thing when he comes out of the bullpen because <laughs> <laughs> he, he doesn't look exactly like him, but he looked, you know, he's kind of got that. He's just he's all over the place. But he's a bulldog and he has been injured multiple times throughout his college career. And when he's healthy, he's fantastic. And he just needed the right place and, and get the right people around him to be successful. And so far, he's done that. I mean, he's he's a team favorite. They absolutely love him. They get excited when he gets out on the mound. And so I know the crowd is absolutely going to love him as well. But then you know, you take a guy like you know, we got the kid. Let's see, where's my where's my notes here? Brock Perry from Arizona State. You know, we signed him. Brock Perry actually started some from Arizona State. He is his dad played at Arizona State. He's actually named after the legendary manager there. Um, So, I mean, he was an Arizona State guy through and through, but he kept getting injured and he had some issues. And uh, anyway, somehow we got him through the transfer portal and he came over. So here's a guy that's got Friday night experience that's most likely going to be used in kind of a setup role. And he's a submariner. And so he's another guy that's going to come out. And man, you throw a Peyton Smith and you throw a Brock Perry. I mean, it's going to be a totally different look than Troy Wansing. But if I were to say anything about our staff, we're very left handed dominant. And especially if a Cortez doesn't step up and really give us another right-handed presence, uh, we're very strong left-handed, which is actually not a bad thing. If you're going to be dominant one side, left hand is pretty good. And we've got some lefties that can really bring it, and that's really cool. But I wanted to get to probably the biggest and the baddest, and that is uh, Zane uh, uh, Batamev. I can't ever pronounce that name right. But he's a kid that we played against last year uh, that was at Tarleton State. So, yeah, I know everybody's going to say Tarleton State or whatever. Well, this kid's 6'8". He's the biggest player I think we've ever had on our team, and we've had some big dudes. But the boy can bring the heat, and he can throw strikes. He is a strike thrower, and he's intimidating as heck. And so he's certainly one of the guys they're considering at the back end of this bullpen, and he can throw, throw the ball hard. And so th- what I would basically tell you is I actually think our bullpen and I think that our closer setup situation is actually pretty solid. What I'm really anxious to see is just some of these guys that we're kind of counting on at the end of the rotation or in the midweeks and all that, I just hope that they live up to what they've been doing. Um, I think most of them will, but, you know, history tells us, you know, one or two may struggle, but uh, we've got a pretty loaded bullpen. We don't have a lot of guys that are going to be sitting down there, basically redshirting and waiting until next year. You're going to have an awful lot of guys that are truly valuable that could come in and actually make a difference. And, you know, I haven't even mentioned um, uh, Eldridge Armstrong, you know, we got him in the transfer portal. He pitched for Team USA. Uh, he's a character and a half. He's going to be the cheerleader on the bench. He's the crazy guy. He's the guy that's going to come up with the next Pringles thing. I can already see it coming. He's just, he's really into it, but he's got a great, he's just got a huge arm. He can throw the ball hard. Uh, his issue is control. Wiener's been working with him and doing really well with him. So Eldridge could end up being a mid, mid you know, setup kind of guy. You know, it could be a long inning relief guy. And truly, he can end up being the midweek and eventually move into the rotation. He's got that kind of of talent. So there's an awful lot of guys like this that are just – they're doing well. They look good in the spring. They look pretty good in the fall. A couple of these guys, we didn't really work in the fall because they had been playing a lot in the summer and they wanted to rest them. So Batamab was one of those guys. So most of the Aggies haven't really seen him in action yet, but I think you're going to really enjoy seeing him come in to close the game.
1: No doubt. Going to take a quick break, and then we got a lot more to get to after – after a quick break, we're going to look at the offensive side of the ball. We're going to talk a little more, Braden Montgomery, and then um, so stick, stay tuned, and we'll be right back. Welcome back into the Gigum 24-7 Sports Podcast. I am Andrew Hattersley, joined by Sam Smith, our baseball extraordinaire. Uh, One more aspect of the pitching staff that I think is is important to touch on, and and I mentioned it before the break, but Brayden Montgomery, where do we kind of see him fitting into the the pitching staff overall? Yeah, I appreciate you
0: bringing that up because I left a couple of other guys out that I did want to talk about, but we'll talk about Montgomery first. So Montgomery is, first of all, he's got a plus arm. So that's why he plays right field, and the guy is basically got a cannon. He reminds you of all the great Aggies that we've had in the right field that can pretty much throw it on a dime. He can certainly do that. He's outstanding. When it comes to the mound, he is certainly uh, a prospect on the mound as well. He's mid-90s with his fastball, and uh, Wiener's worked with him a lot. Now, the challenge you have when you're a two-way player in this league is that you spend most of your day out there working with – you know, the outfielders and doing all that while the pitchers are doing their thing. So Montgomery not only has to do his thing with the guys in the field and batting practice and all that, after everybody else is pretty much done, now he's going over and doing what the pitchers had already done. So the guy's working double everybody else, but he really wants to do it. He really cares about it, really wants to make that happen. And so he's getting better and better. He pitched in the, uh, in the uh, uh, scrimmage uh, the other night and uh, looked pretty good i mean he was throwing the ball hard i think he was about 94 95. Um, threw the ball fairly well uh, still working on his consistency a little bit but he's certainly looking better today than he did when he first showed up at AM. so the guy is putting the time in there is not a guy on this team that works any harder as far as an athlete on the field than than braden montgomery he is the real deal he is not in any way whatsoever a um, kind of a prima donna kind of guy he he knows every guy on the team. He's the guy that'll go over and sit and talk to him and cheer him on. He's just a really great team player and he's the hardest worker on the team. In fact, uh, when I was talking earlier, our strength and condition guy, I saw an interview the other day that he was saying that when they went away for Christmas break, he had more messages and phone calls from Braden Montgomery than he did every other athlete. Because Montgomery was in California basically working, you know, hitting the weight room, doing the sprints, doing everything you need to do to be ready. That's the kind of kid this is. And so I would certainly expect Braden to get some opportunities. Uh, the great news is, is even when he's not in right field, we've got so many great players that can play in right field that, yeah, we, we're not going to replace him, but we're going to be OK while he's out there on the mound. And so it's really a great opportunity for him. It was a perfect fit for Braden Montgomery to come to A&M because he can do both and excel across the board and hopefully, you know, develop to where he could potentially be, you know, that kind of that two way kind of player at the next level. He certainly has the talent. He's just got to work on his control a little bit. And so I can tell you, if he gets that going, uh, the pitchers have will be quite happy. We'd love to have that addition. Yeah. Now. I did want to mention a couple of you know, three other guys. You know, Evan Ashton who was our hero last right. year, the guy came in and basically he was our middleman. He just continues to look better and better. He's developed a couple of extra pitches now with Max Weiner, and just continues to do well. The funny thing about him is he he always you know he looks OK. Uh, during practice, looks okay in the scrimmages, but when the lights come on, the guy was nails every time. And I fully expect that to be the case. He's got a great attitude and really doing well. So I think Wiener has actually just made him better, which is great for AM because he was one of our stalwarts. A couple of other guys I wanted to mention is one is Josh Stewart. A lot of you know his brother Cole that yes. committed to play quarterback for AM and ended up going to the, the Twins and all that. Well, he is uh, really starting to develop and starting to shine he's got a absolutely wicked slider. I mean, just wicked to the point that is he's throwing it for strikes, uh, and nobody hitting it and it's really impressive. And so he is, he's caused a lot of problems and I've heard two or three of the guys say that that's the one guy that they've had the biggest challenge with, um, was Josh Stewart. So that's exciting because he's a kid that kind of started out somewhere else and kind of came back here and, and really has been working hard to get better and better, but he certainly got the arm talent and I'm hearing great things. So I would fully expect him to come in and, and make a difference as well. And then the other guy that I, I wanted to mention was Brad Rudis. You know, Rudis kind of right. almost is so reliable that we kind of forget about him. He was one of our heroes in 22. Uh, he just came in through strikes. Uh, Slosh loved him because he threw strikes. Uh, did he have overpowering stuff? No, but, you know, he, he, he did the job. Well, Rudis has totally remade his body. I mean, he's worked in the white room. He looks like a different kid. He's developed additional secondary pitches. And so I got to tell you, it's not uh, – the issue is not the stuff anymore. I actually think he throws the ball a lot harder and he throws it with a lot more control and he's got a lot more in his arsenal. So I fully expect Rudis to take another step in his uh, benefits. And because of the the uh, you know, the loyalty that, that Schloss already has for him because he can trust him, uh, I would fully expect Rudis to be one of the guys that he goes to fairly frequently in the, in, the, uh, in the bullpen. So that's like a few other guys that are pretty exceptional. I mean, I'm telling you, there's only a couple of kids that are freshmen that are very talented, that need some work before they probably see the lights. But for the most part, we're pretty dug on deep in that bullpen, and there's an awful lot of talent. We just got to figure out which ones of that talent are going to be the go-to guys for Schloss and Wiener as we move forward.
1: No doubt. Options, right? That's all you want to be able to create and, and guides you can kind of turn and to. And it's a some heck struggling. of a lot
0: better than 23. I mean, yep. I'm, I'm telling you guys, we were struggling in 23. We really were because, I mean, we had, we had some talent. But, you know, the guys we were counting on, we lost one of our key pieces. And then all of a sudden, you know, you got a guy like Cortez that was not throwing strikes. And, I mean, all of a sudden things started getting pretty dicey. Uh, that's yeah. not going to be the case this year. I'm not telling you we're going to be Arkansas as far as pitching, but we're going to be okay. We're going to be pretty dang good, and we got a great offense and defense to back us up as well.
1: Let's talk a little bit about that offensive side, obviously, and, and there's a lot of excitement and. Kind of start at the top of the order and then we'll kind of move to the, the meat of it. But somebody asked, um, is there a potential leadoff hitter that can get on base with a high on base percentage? Now the counterpoint I would also kind of add to this is is that something that's kind of needed? Like you, you know, you look at baseball today and and everybody's kind of looking for that thump at the top of the lineup. Yep. Is it is, is there a guy that does that or is that something AM even is kind of going for? Well, it's really interesting
0: because history would always tell you that you always wanted a guy that could just get on base, that could fly, yep. and then he would put pressure on the defense, and then your big hitters would come up two, three, and four and basically drive the right. guy in. That's kind of the theory, right? Well, I can tell you that as things are starting to change. I, there's an awful lot of attention being put on one, seven, eight, and nine, and that's because as the lineup turns over, you want to keep that momentum going. Yep. a is in a very unique position. We have a guy – on this roster that can flat-out fly, and that's in Travis Chestnut. If you remember him last year, the guy is a terror. I mean, he can flat-out fly. He's pretty good in the field, does a pretty good job, but he's got a lot of really good players ahead of him from that standpoint as well. His bat's maybe not like a, you know Slav Slott-Violette, but he's still a pretty good player. But if he ever gets on base, he's going to drive absolutely everybody crazy. So you have that as an option, but I don't believe that's actually where Schloss is going to go. I think Schloss is actually going to one through nine put the best nine hitters we got at the at the plate and go. And so I could easily see a Ted Burton leading off for us. Now, Ted Burton is not Travis Chestnut. He's not going to be the guy that flies, but he's going to hit well over 300. He's going to get on base a ton, and he's going to swing the stick very, very well. And so you have that, and then all of a sudden you've got, you know, following that, a guy like a Braden Montgomery, followed by a J. Slav Violet, followed by like a Ryan Targach, you know, and you just keep going. I'm telling you guys, this is a formidable lineup. It reminds me a little bit of 15 when we had that really great hitting lineup and so forth. But I actually think this one's even better. And I say that there's a lot of power here, but there's a lot of really good hitters. I don't, you know, um, Michael Early is a really good hitting coach and he's done a really good job. He's now really kind of, you know, now, by the way, he's a paid coach. Praise God. It's about time. It's ridiculous that they didn't have a, a third paid coach. But he's now a paid coach and he's earned every penny. But he's doing a really good job with these guys. But he focuses on contact, focuses on hitting the baseball. If it goes out of the yard, fantastic. And I got to tell you, Montgomery, uh, La Violette, Benderup, uh, Targot, shoot, all they got to do is put the bat on the ball, and the ball is going to land on the railroad tracks. I mean, that's just – these guys are very powerful. But that's not the focus. The focus is driving the baseball. I thought it was really interesting the other night – one In one of the scrimmages, uh, one of our freshmen, who's one that you're going to hear a lot about, is a guy named Jet Johnston. And Jet Johnston's a really good outfielder, but he's got a really good stick. And he basically had two doubles to both opposite fields. Unbelievable. I mean, the guy basically, he takes what is given to him and drives the baseball. And that is the epitome of what Michael Early and Jim Slossang want from our offense. And so are we going to hit a lot of home runs this year? Yes but are we going to hit a lot of really good singles, doubles and so forth and drive in runs? I think that's even the biggest focus here. And so when we go against some of these really strong pitching staffs, whatever it is they give us is what we've got to react to and go. And I do think that our hitters are trained. They are coached to do exactly that. They give you the ball and you take it. And whether that is Braden Montgomery or Jace LaViolette, or, you know, it's a Ali Camarillo or whoever, these guys can swing the sticks. And so from one to nine, Whatever that lineup ends up being, it's going to be pretty phenomenal. So right now, if I were to look at just the fielding lineup, we'll leave the pitchers out for right now. I would tell you that we probably have, we're probably about sixteen or seventeen guys deep. And I would have no problem putting any of those guys in those positions and playing. So just interchange wherever. And I say that because the competition at some of these positions has been outstanding. And so, you know, it's like Ryan Targott. Where do you put him? You know, he was hurt last year. So, you know, he played some first base and DH most of the time. Well, now they've been trying him out at second base. But as I mentioned before, Caden Kent is in a battle at shortstop. And truthfully, if it were me, I'd move him to second and have both of them in the lineup because they're that good with the gloves and they swing the stick well. But you can't have Targog out of the lineup. If he's swinging the stick well, the Hallisville hammer is pretty, very deadly. We've seen him do some pretty amazing things. So do you DH him? Or do you put him over at first? If you put him at first, okay, then does a guy like a Ted Burton have to sit because you've moved him over there? You know, who then ends up being your DH? Well, a Jet Johnston is a guy that they talk about a lot. He may get the starting job in left field, but he also may end up uh, being a DH. I mean, these guys, they're really interchangeable. And so I'm really excited to kind of see where it goes. I would tell you going into spring ball, there were only two players on this team that actually I could tell you, you can go ahead and write their name in ink in the roles they're gonna play. And that was Braden Montgomery in right, and Jace LaViolette in center. And I even say that with a little bit of a, kind of precursor on that, because LaViolette played right last year, right? He didn't play center. And so moving to center is different, but he played in high school and he's an exceptional athlete and he's doing great there. So those are the two guys. So every other position on that field has truly had significant competition. And so as of, you know, when we're recording this, we're still not exactly sure Who's going to be where? I mean, Caden Kent could get the start at at shortstop, or it could be Ali Camarillo. My guess is it's going to be Camarillo just because Camarillo has looked exceptional, but so is Caden Kent. So who knows? Uh, Third base, Gavin Grohovak is probably going to start in the hot corner because he is an unbelievable player, but he could easily play second or he could play a lot of positions. He's going to be in the lineup. I just don't know exactly where, but I think it'll be third. So that's why I say you know it's exciting because one through nine, regardless of who – we put in these positions, whichever one of these guys gets that spot, you're going to see an exceptional one through nine lineup. And it's as good as anybody in college baseball.
1: You mentioned Gavin Grohovac, and I'll ask this in kind of two ways. Okay. Um, got a question about where do you see him fitting in the lineup? I'll ask the second part of that. Where do you think he'll finish in the lineup? Do you think maybe they they'll start him lower in the lineup, and then as the year kind of progresses, you see him climb the lineup?
0: Yeah, just history would tell you, I think he probably bat sixth or seventh just yeah. to kind of take the pressure off of him a little bit, give him a chance to adjust. Um, he is certainly Jason LaViolette uh, version two. Uh, he's our best player coming in in this recruiting class, and he easily could be – I mean, he's going to play at the next level. He he has all the tools. But at the same time, you want to give him a chance to kind of come in and adjust. Now, LaViolette, remember we put him in – and we moved him up, and we had him you know, batting pretty high in the lineup. And he struggled early on. I don't know if a lot of you remember, but he had a really great kind of start. And then he yeah. kind of cratered, and he was batting like 100 for a while. Yeah. And we just kind of let it keep going because they knew at some point he would turn around. And he would tell you today, he's a lot better player right now than he was this time last year. He's just – he's he's mature. So Grohovac's going to do the same thing. And so my guess is, is you're going to have a, like a Montgomery batting like second. You're going to have La Violette batting third. And then you're going to have someone like a Targy, or somebody like that batting cleanup behind them and protecting at that time because, you know, a guy you don't want to pitch to, too. So I mean, you know, that's pretty formidable. And so I could see them potentially moving him, you know, moving Grohovac into like five or six. But I'm thinking he's probably going to—they're they're probably going to put one of those veterans, you know, like a an Appel who I haven't even talked about yet. You know, see him or a Camarillo or somebody like that kind of in that spot, and then have Grohovac back, back there. And keep in mind what I talked to you about before they are really focusing on, you know, that seven, eight, nine, you know, yep. turning the, turning the batting order. I mean, we want to keep it going. I mean, we want, we want these guys seven, eight, nine on the base pass and then having Montgomery and La Violette come up with the bases loaded and all that. I mean, that, that's what this lineup is. And that's why I say the old theory of, you know, get the little speedy guy to, you know, bunt and get on or do whatever he has to do to get mm-hmm. on the base. I don't necessarily think we're going to do that a lot. Now we may, and we have a guy that can do that in a chestnut, but I actually think you're going to see us basically putting nine really great hitters and let them make it, make it happen. So Grohovac, I would see him starting that, that, you know, kind of back a little bit. I do think that very fairly quickly, once he gets comfortable, he's certainly a guy that could bat in the four or five hole and and be great. I mean, I'm telling you guys, he, he is Jace Laviolette version two, as far as the quality of athlete, different position, totally different kind of skills. Both can swing the bat really well.
1: Now, you kind of hinted at this with your your answer in the last one, but we got a question about who do we think, who do you think kind of wins the job at catcher? Do you think that's Jackson Appel, or do, where do you kind of see A&M probably go in that direction at catcher? I'm glad
0: you kind of brought that up because, you know, if you think yeah. about it, this time last year when we were talking, the biggest hole that Texas A&M had was at catcher. We really didn't have anything. In fact, we'd gone out in the transfer portal and had gotten a guy from Cincinnati who was a really good catcher, and he had committed to come to A&M, and then – January decided he didn't want to play baseball anymore. And now all of a sudden a scrambling because we have a couple of guys that, you know, we didn't really know what we had. And Max Coffer basically foregoed his senior year in high school to join A&M in January. And before you know it, he was our starting catcher for pretty much most of the year. Now, I don't want to degrade what Hank Bard did because I think Hank Bard came in and was very, you know, helpful as well. But think about it. A kid that should be a senior in high school was starting in the SEC. Uh, for a team that basically finished fourth in the, or, you know, finished in the top four in the College World Series the year before. I mean, you're talking about pressure and all that. And so I think Coffer did an admirable job. And I think he got better as the year progressed. I think he got started swinging the bat a little better. I think he did a really good job behind the backstop. But I think swinging the bat was a little hard. I mean, it's just an adjustment. And it's a typical, all freshmen struggle in the SEC against that kind of, of, of talent. So now we move to this year. They go out and get Jackson Appel who is uh, – he was the Ivy League player of the – year, catcher of the year. Well, it was the last year and the year before he was second team. But, I mean, the guy is a really good backstop, and he can swing the stick. He bats over 300, and he's a veteran presence in the lineup. And so those two guys have been battling all fall, all spring. Koffer is extremely talented. He's a very talented guy. I just get the impression based off of what I'm seeing in spring and kind of things are going, I've got a funny feeling that Appel is going to be the starter. We'll find out shortly. I just think that veteran presence back there, it takes a little bit of pressure off of Coffer to continue to develop. He's gonna play a ton, both of our, in fact, I think Hank Bard's gonna play quite a bit as well. I mean, we went from really worrying about if we even had a catcher at all, to now we've got three guys that are very good catchers. By the way, Appel has an unbelievable arm. He's got a rocking arm. So as talented as Coffer is, and he's certainly that, Appel is probably even more talented and he's certainly more experienced. So that's why I would kind of give the nod to a pal. But it's it's exciting. It's so nice to not have to worry about our backstop this year.
1: No doubt. I'll get you out of on the on the offensive side on this. So strongest part of this team offensively and then maybe kind of as we looked with the pitching staff, the weakest part of this team offensively.
0: Uh well first of all I'd say power, obviously, because I yeah. think this is an extremely powerful team. Uh there is not um the closest thing and probably as far as power is probably Florida. Florida's got a few guys that can swing the stick as well. I mean Caglioni, yeah. their first baseman pitcher He's probably the player of the year in the college baseball would be my guess. I mean, he's at least the preseason guy. Uh, he's certainly talented. So they have certainly have some power over there, but they, their power is not as good as AM's. It's close, but it's, it's in that range. But I would say power is one. But I would say just overall, this outfield is probably the best outfield AM has put on the field maybe ever. I mean, it's, it's pretty close. I mean, the the talent – you've got a right fielder and center fielder they are going to play at the next level and potentially play very well at the next level. So that's yeah. pretty special. It's very rare that you have that. So I would say the outfield is great because whoever's playing left field, we've got about four or five guys. They're all very good. They're very talented. They can swing the stick. They've got good gloves and all that. And so it's awesome because we've got a lot of options. But I would say our outfield is probably, you know, it's just Anybody from the outside looking in, first thing they're going to look at is, oh, my gosh, they've got La Violette and Montgomery. Holy cow.
1: Yeah. And then just looking a little bit, you know, going back big picture a little bit to overall expectations, one of the interesting questions I think somebody asked was how important chemistry is to winning it all, and is chemistry something that coaches try to spark, or does it happen naturally?
0: You know, i love that question because I, I really yeah, truly believe in that a lot um i, I th- 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 there's multiple answers here first thing i would tell you is is that jim schlossnagel when he first came in the door said i'm going to establish a culture here he did it at tcu had tremendous success there he's doing the exact same thing here i will tell you that i think they did a really good job in 22. i think in 23 they realized that they had a few places that they needed to maybe make some adjustments to make sure that culture was where it was going. And so some changes have happened and all that. I would tell you today, I think this team from top to bottom is as uh, together as any team I've seen in a long time. They truly think the world of each other. They have a good time. They enjoy playing. But that culture that Jim Schlossnagle has established uh, resonates all the way through. It is the fiber that bonds it all. It is, we're going to work hard, we're going to play hard, and we're going to do everything we possibly can do to be the very best we can put out of that field. And he does not shy away from that. He really is all about that. He lives it. I mean, no one works harder than Jim. But at the end of the day, that is the culture that he has established. These kids, though, have really bought into it. And so when you've got a guy like Braden Montgomery, who has more accolades than pretty much any kid in college baseball, that is working harder than anybody else on that team, that really sets a great standard. And you've got a guy like La Violette that's doing the same thing. You've got a kid like Brad Brutus that basically has had some success and basically went and totally redid himself to get better. That is the way these kids are. They're all basically – they're all working together. Um, You're certainly going to have some ups and downs throughout the season. But I do think from a culture standpoint, it has been established very well by Jim Schlossnagel. It has been carried out extremely well by his staff. He's got a fantastic support team, by the way. You know, when you start looking at like um, you know, like Box and and all those guys that work the analysts behind the scenes, he's got some really exceptional people that are focused on player development, focused on making sure these kids are doing exactly what they need to do for them to play their role in the bigger picture on the team. And so there's not one kid on that team that doesn't get all the attention they need to be the very best athlete they can be. And that in turn fits into that culture where he's going. The one thing I do think that we're still missing that I think Jim is working really hard to make sure that happens, and that is facilities. They are certainly talking behind the scenes, yep. but we do lack some facilities. As an example, we've had some pretty bad weather that has caused us not to be able to get out on the field and so forth, whereas some programs have some pretty nice in, uh, indoor facilities where they can go out and do some things. AM doesn't necessarily have that. Not a major problem, but it's certainly some challenges that we're still working on. But I think you'll see over the next you know, few years now, they're really getting serious. Now that we've got the football stuff all taken care of, the new track is done, they're now starting to really focus their attention on adding to that baseball program. And I do think that's going to be a great, not only development tool, but it's also going to be a great recruiting tool to continue that culture that Jim is, is developing. And I got to tell you, if you meet any of these guys, I mean, Nolan Kane is one of the finest people you'll ever meet. He is all in, all Aggie. I don't care if he went to LSU, The guy has nothing nice to say about LSU. He's all aggy. That's the way he is. Doesn't mean he has anything negative to say about LSU. I'm just saying his loyalties (laughs) are (laughs) what he is doing. I love the guy. I mean, I absolutely do. I mean, he is no nonsense, but he's the real deal. And he is the assistant head coach for a reason. And he is a fantastic recruiting coordinator. And so when you see this group of freshmen take the field, the first guy you need to look at and say, man, hey, you've done a great job is Nolan Kane because he is the real deal behind that.
1: No doubt. You saw Schloss kind of mention it at the end of last year, obviously, about the facilities. You know, it's it's something that's certainly going to continue to be a point of emphasis moving forward outside of Tanner Jones. You mentioned him earlier in the show. Um, Any lingering injuries, surprises that folks kind of need to be aware of that that could kind of impact things at the start of the season?
0: Uh, that's the only major when I say major, it's yeah. the only one that's gonna cause someone not to play this weekend. Right. Ted Burton has been a little bit beat up. Uh, he's an older guy. He's a veteran, you know he'll, he'll, he'll roll be, through it. you know I, I would be very shocked to see him, you know try to take a seat unless he's actually forced to do it. Uh, you know, yeah. you just get a lot of nings and bangs and I mean these guys have been working hard playing hard. Burton is the real deal. He's gonna go out there and leave it all in the field. Uh, Hayden shots the same way, by the way. I mean Hayden shot, I can't wait for everybody. Everybody's going to love Hayden Shot. He's, he's just a real personality out there and, and a lot of fun. But these guys, uh, they're serious about the game. But I would say that that's really – the Jones injury is the only one that's really going to affect the lineup per se. There could be a little tweak here and there. Uh, I will tell you in the scrimmage the other night, Grohovac got hit by a 94-mile-an-hour fastball and kind of hurt his arm. And I, I think the entire – coaching staff, medical team, and everybody followed the kid around the field the rest of the night to make sure he was okay. He went right back in the game and didn't get kept playing. So, I mean, he's a tough dude. But, you know, those kind of things will happen. You know, if you get bruised and they're a little concerned about it, early on this, uh, this schedule is not formidable. But we need to do a lot better job this year with the schedule than we did last year. We don't need to be losing to these teams. But I don't think that's going to be as big a concern as, as trying to – let these guys play against somebody in a different uniform and see what they can do when the lights are on so that we really know what we can rely on and kind of go to. And so that's why I said, I think this weekend's rotation is going with more of the veteran crew just to, you know, kind of take the edge off a little, but then you're going to start to see a lot of these other guys worked in and let's see what they can do. And I think you're going to see a lot of movement in the, uh, in the lineup and a lot of positions and so forth to get some of these guys out there and, And let them see if they can do what they've been doing in spring actually in front of everybody.
1: Yeah, and I'll get you out on this. like Just to kind of close it out, I thought this was a a good question to kind of close it out. Because obviously this is the thing on everybody's mind. And it's also hard the hardest one to project. So I'll let you go whatever direction you want to go with this. Is this team as good as Schloss's first team in 2022? Or should I say, can they go as far as that team did? Okay, now that's an interesting
0: question now that you threw that in at the last. Okay, so... To answer the first part of the question, this is a better team than 2022 yeah. on paper. There's better talent. They have developed this team. They've had more time to develop this team and get what they want, what they want to rely on. And that there's a lot to be said for that, guys. I mean, as much as there's this theory that you can go out and buy a team, uh, it works a little bit if you get Paul Skeens to come out and pitch. I mean, he's going to go pitch, and he's a good pitcher. He was good before he got there, and he did a good job. But there are a lot of kids that you've got to you got to go develop players and you've got to help them yep. take the full optimization of the talent that they've been given. And so I think that you're going to see this team is is a better team by far than what we had in 22. Now, still got to go on a run, still got to have some, you know, some of the breaks go our way and so forth. Uh, the gauntlet in the SEC is incredible. And so. You know, As I told you, there are eight to ten teams here that could all make it to the College World Series, and we play most of them uh, this year. And some of them we play on the road, some of them we play at home, and we've got to take care of business and we've got to do our thing. If we do that, by the time we get to the tournament, A&M is certainly a formidable team. I don't think anybody would want to play them in the postseason. If we got to Omaha with the team that we have, counting the pitching that we have today, I think we would be ready and be in good shape. Uh, somebody made a comment. I think one of the questions was talking about, you know, you know, every really good team has two aces or they have really two really good guys when they get to yeah. college. Well, I can tell you, in 2011, I was sitting in Omaha in the stands and A&M had the best one-two combination in all of college baseball and we got beat two games straight and left. And that was when we had um, – um, uh, what's his name? My brain just went totally blank for a second. Um ah. Well, it'll hit me in a second. Everybody knows what I'm talking about. But anyway, the point was, is we had phenomenal pitching and it did us no good. It, at the end of the day, you got to have good pitching, but you also have to have a good offense and so forth. And I think we're going to be in every game this year because we've got a phenomenal offense and we got a really good defense. And so you throw strikes and make them put the ball in play. I like our chances. And I think that's the, the key thing, you know, for our team, but, uh, you know like I said in eleven we had a guy we have two guys that are still pitching major league baseball that were our one two and we went oh and two and went home and so you just never know what it's gonna take to get there. I think it's a, yeah it's I mean think about twenty two. I mean twenty two I mean we were a you know hodgepodge team that they put together at the last second and yeah. truly we were right in it. Uh you know up till the end. I mean we were we were beating teams that probably People would have told you we couldn't beat early on. So I do feel like this team certainly has a chance. Do I think this is going to be the best team that Jim Slossangle ever puts together? No, because I'm really looking forward to what happens in 25, 26, when they have enough time from beginning to end to recruit, get them in, develop them to where we have that established base. I truly believe that A&M is going to be considered like Florida, considered like an Arkansas, where every year, year in and year out, we're going to have good pitching, we're going to have good hitting and so forth. And then the question is, is it going to be elite? And that's always going to be the question for everybody. And, in fact, I would tell you at LSU right now, that's exactly what they're saying. They have high expectations. We want it all. But are we going to be really good are we going to be elite? Well, we're all getting ready to find out, all of us. So it's going to be a lot of fun to watch.
1: No doubt. be all gets underway on Friday night, and then, and then the season gets going and the grind begins. Sam, thank you, sir, for for joining us. I don't think anybody's going to find a better – Preview of the season, offense, defense, pitching. We covered it all over the last hour plus. So definitely recommend everybody like, share this video, uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel. And Sam, thanks again, buddy, for for doing that. My
0: apologies to Ross Stripling and those guys. You know, that's what happens when you start getting old. There you go, right? But but no, I I tell you, I'm excited. I hope everybody's going to be excited. The one thing I would share with everybody is get out there and watch these games. College baseball at Bluebell Park. It just doesn't get much better than that. And if you get a chance, go on the road, go to places like Arkansas, Mississippi State, places like that, because it's worth going and checking out. It's really a, a great experience. And to me, it's the best experience in all of college athletics.
1: No doubt. We're all we're always busy on the road, but I, I make sure to tune in every weekend to see this team and, and see the environment. It's, it's always a lot of fun. It's one of my favorite times of the year. So yeah. Sam, enjoy it yourself. Enjoy that trip to Florida. I'm sure we'll... We'll be speaking many times before. I will Dan, be giving
0: updates from being there, but I, you know, my goal is to you know put the hex on Sully. That, that's my goal. Yeah,
1: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Thanks everybody for joining us. Enjoy, enjoy the rest of the week, and have a great weekend. We'll see you guys soon.